John chapter 6 this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14, and a pretty familiar passage. But even before we go to John chapter 6, you flip there in your Bible, um, and if you want to, try and get there very quickly. Um, I want to point out something to you right before we read the text this morning, and that's in John chapter 20, right at the end of the book. And it's good for us to recognize and remember some of these, uh, some of the purposes behind the way that, uh, the way that John organizes and structures his gospel so that we can have a clear understanding of what God through his Holy Spirit uh, inspired John to write um, so many years ago. So at the end of John's gospel in John chapter 20, right at the end of, uh, right at the end of that chapter in verses 30 and 31, John writes for us, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these the ones who are, that are recorded, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing that you may have life in his name. I want you to keep that in your mind's eye as we take time this morning to consider one of the signs that's recorded by the Apostle John for us uh, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name we might have life. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read these 14 verses then for us. If you don't have a copy of God's Word and would like to see these words in front of you, there are uh, still several Bibles in the back table back there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are uh, copies underneath the, the, the giving box back there. Go ahead and feel free to pick one of those up. If you don't have a copy, need a new copy, or sharing the gospel with a friend, neighbor, coworker, and would like to share the gift of God's Word with them, feel free to take one of those today. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, and because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then he, and seeing the crowd that was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to even get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five loaves and two fish, but what are those for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as many as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into into the world. I know some of you uh, make some pretty amazing food at home. But I'm going to give you a completely biased opinion right now. And my wife isn't even here to hear me lavish praise upon her. But her food is better than your food. Um, 
The food she makes is, is, is really, really good. Last week, uh, our oldest, Abel, he wanted to uh, have a, a family fun night and inspired by a, a family in our community group. Um, and part of what happened also was, uh, was inspired by that as well. He wanted to have a cooking competition. And uh, our cooking competition was structured sort of like MasterChef, uh, which was, was fun. And he decided that the, the thing that we were going to make uh, in, in our teams were, was potato soup, um, which is a, a family favorite uh, uh, for us. And, and I, knew, I knew right out of the gate that Team Dad didn't stand a chance. T- team Dad didn't stand a chance. So I, what I did is I cheated, and I picked a recipe with a lot of cheese and a lot of bacon, um, because those two things are, I could ride the coattails of cheese and bacon um, and hopefully get a victory. But Team Mom made a wonderful, like, smoky sausage with, uh, with kale, potato soup. It was superior in every way. In every technical category in the cooking field, it was superior in, in every way. But she demonstrated real skill while I, I just poured more bacon and cheese into my... Um, but what's so good about Rebecca's cooking, and I'm going to keep going with this, um, is that she can... She could do so much with so little. I don't quite understand how, how it's possible, but every once in a while, we'll put the kids to bed and we'll go get a nice steak for the meat department at Hugo's. And, and one of the first times we did that, I remember it was probably the best steak I'd had in a very long time. Um, and and I, I might say ever, but um, yeah, I would say, I'll say ever just, bec- just to keep the, the, the yeah, keep, well, the peace, no, the, <laughs> the, the encouragement, the encouragement going. Um, I asked her, I said, what did you put on the steak to make it taste, to bring out all these wonderful flavors? And, like, what did you do? And she said, salt. And uh, that's it. Yeah, that, that's it. And I thought to myself, well, how could something taste so good with so, so little um, added to it? Even, even the smallest things in the right hands um, can be incredibly impactful. I was reading the, the 17th century Puritan last week, John Flavel, and that sounds more impressive than it actually is. But I was reflecting on the passage we're looking at this morning, and I was struck by a quote in Flavel's book, The Mystery of Providence. He said this, he said, Now there are two things that unbelief stumbles at in God, his power and his willingness to help. When we face uncertainty, when we face difficulty in, in life, we have the opportunity to exercise faith by trusting God. And Flavel is saying that where our faith breaks down is here. This is where it breaks down. It breaks down in the fact that we believe that God can help, and it breaks down in the fact that we don't believe that God will help. Um, but I want to say that this text this morning in John chapter 6 actually addresses both of those things very, very clearly in no uncertain terms. In no uncertain terms, Jesus has the power to help, and he is willing to help. This is how our belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, will be bolstered and boosted this morning. How our faith will be fed as we go to God's word this morning. And you likely know this story well. This is a popular one. You get it in every children's Bible, and you've probably heard it multiple times. Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's one that we're very familiar with. And it's one of Jesus' most remarkable signs that he shows in uh, in the Gospel of John and across all 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 of the Gospels. Jesus takes something small 
and he does something impossible. He takes something small and he does something remarkable. He takes five loaves and two fish and he feeds 5,000 men, not including women and children. I don't know how many of those were there with the men, but, but presumably some. And then after that, there's an excess. There's extra. There's more. And the effect that it has for us is that we learn to trust that Jesus can meet our needs and that he will meet our needs. So, so we're going to walk through this passage and I'm going to point out a few things for us to reflect on together this morning. The first thing that I want you to see here in this text, the first thing I want you to identify is that Jesus sees the need. He sees and knows the need before even we do. And verse 2, look at verse 2. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. So this is a large crowd. Later on, we're told that there are 5,000 men in this crowd. That's some 50-ish times larger than how many people are in this room this morning. And there are, there, again, this doesn't account for the, the, the women and children, but Jesus had been doing signs, and we've read and discovered several of those throughout our time together um, in, in John's gospel. Um, he was healing sick. We, we've seen several of those signs take place over the course of the last several weeks. If we've been looking, and if you look back, we think to uh, the beginning of chapter 2 where Jesus turns the water into wine. We're following these people, we're following Jesus because he was doing these signs. They're following him across the countryside. Now, presumably, they're out in the middle of nowhere. And in verse 5, we find out, lifting up his eyes, then Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that the crowd. A large crowd was coming towards him. Jesus said to them, Philip, what are we going to do to buy bread so that the people may eat? Now, this immediately indicates to us that this group of people hadn't packed a lunch. They, they hadn't packed a lunch. They were following Jesus, but they didn't necessarily have the foresight um, to, to pack a lunch. Uh, immediately what sprung to mind was, was thinking about this. When we lived in Kentucky, Rebecca and I, when we lived in Kentucky in our apartment complex, there was a, a, a man uh, who became a friend. He, um, he was also in seminary when we were, and he was from Oklahoma. And every time uh, there would be severe weather or a tornado bearing down on Louisville, he would, he would be standing out on the street. He would be standing out on the street. We'd all like think we're sensible, and we would walk down to the basement. And, uh, and get in the basement. But he, from being from Oklahoma and seeing hundreds of thousands of tornadoes probably in his lifetime, he just walked right out onto the, the sidewalk and looked for, for the tornado. Uh, these people were like storm chasers. These people were looking for the signs. They were sign chasers or miracle chasers. They were looking for the signs that Jesus, they were standing out on the front porch waiting for Jesus again to do a sign. And so they just said, well, you know, like when you're looking for the, the thing, um, uh, the lunch isn't the first thing on, on your mind. And so these 5,000 people wanted to see Jesus heal some more people, do something impossible, so they just started following Jesus around is what it seems like. And but then the question, well, what are they going to eat? Jesus sees this need that this large crowd has before even they see it. Jesus, look at verse 6. He said, to the, he said this to test Philip, right? So he says, where are we going to get where are we going to get the money to, to buy bread to, to feed these people? And he points out the fact that this massive crowd had the need to eat. And there isn't a question in Jesus' mind if he's going to eat it or he's going to meet it so that they could eat. 
But Jesus fully intends to sustain here the physical life that he even authored. And so the encouragement here for us immediately is um, that Jesus sees and knows your needs before you do. Just like Jesus saw the needs of the crowd, just like Jesus was prepared to meet the needs of the crowd, Jesus sees and knows your needs before you even do. And maybe you're here this morning and you're in need of a friend to talk to. Maybe you're feeling lonely. Or maybe you need to have a clarifying conversation after a conflict that you had with your spouse, even this morning or maybe last week. Or or maybe you're in need of a few extra dollars to cover a utility bill because work has been slow. And just like Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw the crowd coming towards him, Jesus lifted up his eyes in eternity past and saw your needs. Before the foundation of the earth, before you were conceived in your mother's womb, before Jesus himself knit you together there, Jesus saw all of your needs. Jesus saw all of your needs, including the ones you have right now on Sunday, September 12th, 2021. As you sit in a pew here at Buffalo City Church. Jesus knew those needs and has known them from eternity past. And so this morning, the call then out of this text is to to believe that Jesus can and that Jesus will meet your needs. And so that that then leads us to the second, second observation. So first, Jesus knows and sees all of your needs. But not only does he just see and know your needs, Jesus, number two, can meet your needs. This crowd needed to be fed, right? Again, physically, they needed to be fed, and Jesus knew it. But what he, says, he doesn't say, this is problematic, or uh, these people need to deal with their problem. I, what, this is their own negligence. Jesus isn't limited because the people forgot to pack their lunches. Jesus is fully capable, it's fully within his power to meet the need even as simple as feeding a crowd. But before he jumps in again, we read it a moment ago, but in verse 6, he said to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus asks his disciples what they should do. What should they do? And Philip responds by musing that 200 days wages, that would be 200 denarii, 200 days wages couldn't cover the cost to feed a crowd that size. Um, so, and then Andrew, he, he gets to work, and he finds one kid who has some food in his person, but five loaves and two fish weren't going to go very far. And he even says this, right? He says it uh, at the end of verse 9. He says, what are they for so many? And John tells us, the gospel writer here, tells us that Jesus was testing them. Because they had been present for all of the healings that Jesus did. They had been present at the wedding at Cana where Jesus turned the water into wine. They had been present for those things. But it doesn't seem to cross their minds here. It doesn't even seem to show up on the radar that Jesus could just pull off a mass feeding on the countryside. So what I, want, what I want you to see here is that the question that needed to be asked first was not how 
are we going to feed? Or how would Jesus feed the crowd? But the question that needed to be asked is, could he? Can Jesus feed all of these people? This isn't just a matter of practical details to get our heads around. It's a matter of belief. Feeding 5,000 people in this instance was no matter of how will it get done, but can Jesus do this too? Like he turned water to wine, like he healed the sick. Could Jesus do this as well? And, and our own unbelief is shown when we skip over the acknowledgement that Jesus can meet our needs and jump straight to how. This is our tendency. Like the disciples here, we speculate on the details. This, could, this is going to cost a lot of money. How can, how can we come up with 200 denarii? Or, well, I've got a, lot of, a, a little bit of a start here, but it's not going to go very far. How can we find more people with food that are willing to share? But, friends, just because you don't know how God's going to do it doesn't infringe upon the can he do it. He can. Just because you don't know how Jesus can meet a need doesn't mean that he cannot. And so Jesus took five loaves and two fish and fed a crowd the size of the one described here. If he can do that, then he can meet our needs regardless of how, if we can see how or not. Because, friends, I'm convinced that the how isn't always for us to know. You, you, may, you, you may have identified, even this morning, a need that you have. And you see no clear path to Jesus meeting that need. You feel underwater, you feel depressed, you feel beaten down and defeated, exhausted, frustrated as you face another week. But, friends, the how is not always available to us. Sometimes a check shows up in the mail, and sometimes a little overtime is approved at work, and sometimes a friend or a family member calls you out of the blue to check in, and sometimes God's intent for you in Scripture is clear and applied, but sometimes there's no feasible way for you to know how God is going to get or to alter a solution or status or feeling or any need that you have. But where the how may not be clear, where we need to run in our minds and our hearts is to God's word to understand that he can. Jesus can provide for your needs. He can. Listen to Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Is that a description of someone who is impotent? Is that the description of someone who's wringing his hands, wondering if your need is the one that he's not going to be able to meet? It's not. It's the description of your sovereign and your king who knit you together in your mother's womb, who has every detail about you stored in his mind, who intimately knew all of your needs before your heart beat for the first time, who simultaneously with all of that for you as an individual, which is more than you can do, by the way, knows and keeps all four million pantropical spotted dolphins from going extinct this very moment. And I bet you didn't even know what a pantropical spotted dolphin is until I said it. But maybe you did, and that's great. I googled it. But the point is this. Believe that Jesus can, even when you cannot see how. And that leads us into a third point here. Jesus doesn't just see and know your needs and have the ability to meet them. He will meet your needs. He will meet your... If there is an even greater challenge to believing that Jesus can, it's believing that he will. This is, I'm convinced, where we get hung up more often than not. We, it's fine for us to say, yeah, Jesus in eternity past saw all of my needs, knew exactly where I would be this morning in my heart, in my mind, in physical proximity to others, in every situation, what I need, that's fine. I get that. And I also believe that Jesus is powerful and he, he has the ability to, to meet the needs. But then we should really, he, I don't, he's not going to. There's an even greater challenge than believing that Jesus can meet your needs. It's believing that Jesus will. In our text, we're told that Jesus can feed the crowd and that he was willing to feed the crowd. If you remember that John Flavel quote that I mentioned at the beginning, now there are two things that unbelief stumbles at in God, his power and his willingness to help. And if I were to take a guess, again, here's where most of us struggle. You may have grown up in church. You get this picture of God as this grumpy, white-haired sky wizard who thinks and he knows everything, but he holds it all together, but he's stingy. He doesn't, he doesn't want your needs to be met. He actually kind of laughs at you when you kind of think, ah. Oh, if this, could, if this could go right, that would be wonderful. And he just, he laughs because you can't quite make sense of things that you're going on as like this grumpy old man. And that might be a bit dramatic, but, but the truth is that you likely drift into this lane. The lane that says that God is unhappy with you and therefore he's unwilling. God isn't pleased with you and so he doesn't want to. He's frustrated with the way that yesterday went. And he's going to hold that over you. Or this image that we have of Jesus, that Jesus is bothered by your requests. 
And he just wants, can you just leave him alone? Friends, this is not at all what the Bible says. And when you drift into that lane, you need to feed your soul with the word of God because it is a God who is all-powerful, who stands at the ready to meet your needs in order that he might be glorified. His name might be praised. Jesus is willing. Here's the promise that you need to latch on and it's found in Philippians chapter 4. Latch onto this promise. Philippians 4.19. Paul writes, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul, who wrote that letter to the church in Philippi, he rejoiced because the church in Philippi was generous with him. And God provided for Paul's needs through their generosity. And Paul reminds them that God will supply all of their needs also. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, you're going to object. Somewhere inside, whether it's right now or at some point this week probably, you're going to object because you're going to say, my needs are unmet. And they've gone unmet for a long time. Maybe, Maybe for a year, maybe for a decade, maybe for several decades, the thing, you know, what, so God can, sure, but he's not willing because they're, Still unmet. Here, two responses to your objection. My needs are unmet. First is this. God defines the need you don't. God defines the need. And my God will supply every need of yours. That word need there isn't defined by you, but it's defined by God. My God will, def- will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God has never failed to provide for your needs. God has never failed to provide for your needs that are truly needs. If it hasn't been given to you, you don't need it. And it is likely that what you actually need is to be content with what God has given you. The second thought in relation to the objection, my needs are unmet, is that you may be in a season of want because you need to learn how to receive God's gifts with a glad heart and not to use it for selfish desires. This is is actually the need that you have. And God actually, in this moment, may be showing you that that's the need that you have. James 4, 2, and 3 says, "You, you desire and so you do not have. So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So maybe the need that God is meeting right now is providing you with a better understanding that God is the giver of every good gift. If the objection persists, if your objection, my needs are unmet, like that doesn't help. Consider sitting down and just writing down all the ways that God has met your needs and you will quickly be confronted by your ingratitude. And then, write it down, Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You are not the exception for for this promise. You're not. You make yourself far more important than you are 
if you believe that you're the outlier, if you believe you're the one that God has not fulfilled this promise to you in Christ Jesus, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So as we draw to come to the end of our time, we're going to draw a conclusion. And this passage is about Jesus' power and his willingness. And again, it's designed to encourage our own faith, our own belief. Just like when the crowd who, who followed after Jesus, Jesus sees your needs, Jesus can meet your needs, and Jesus is willing to meet your needs. So I'm going to give you just a couple more implications here, um, and then we'll, we'll close out. A few final implications for us to reflect on. The first is this. Where we see insufficiency, Christ is all-sufficient. Where we see insufficiency, Christ is all-sufficient. Um, Andrew saw insufficient amount of food to feed the crowd. Philip saw insufficient available funds to buy bread for the crowd. But what they missed is that Jesus, standing right next to them, the one to whom they were talking, is all-sufficient. And we're reminded of this all the way back in uh, chapter 1 of John's Gospel, uh, where John writes, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. It is from Christ's fullness, from his sufficiency, that everything that we have is given to us. Your work, my work, our work, your efforts, our efforts, it's all insufficient to bring about the result, any results apart from Christ. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. If we think about us as a church, Buffalo City Church, if we want to grow as a church, if we want to go spiritually, numerically, in any way that we can conceive of, if we want to see churches in our region strengthened, and we want to see churches preaching the gospel in our region, if we want to plant churches and see men and women reached with the life-altering message of Jesus Christ, then we must see that it will flow completely out of the fullness of Christ out of Christ's sufficiency. Because where we see the lack of resources, we're not quite sure how that could happen. We're coming in under budget or coming in with too few volunteer hours or we're just feeling tired and under-equipped. Jesus is all-sufficient to meet all of the needs that we have. Where we see insufficiency, Christ is all-sufficient. Second implication, the small and simple message of the gospel is enough to bring about salvation for all who believe. When, when we look at the world's problems right now, we're, we're tempted to despair. But friends, we have this small, simple gospel that has time and time again for the last 2,000 years shaped the globe. Christians who seek political solutions or other secular solutions to the world's problems have forgotten that the message of the gospel changes the world. One human heart at a time. 
And we asked ourselves earlier, what can a small church in Jamestown, North Dakota, really do about the cultural winds that are blowing people in a direction that is further and further away from God? Friends, I'll tell you this morning, we must together believe that the simple truth that Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins and welcomes us back into relationship with God is enough to change the world. Why not here? Why not Jamestown, North Dakota? This happens one soul at a time. If we hold fast to the gospel message that says that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, came into the world and died for miserable sinners, giving all who repent eternal life in Him, then why couldn't our little church body of believers set huge cultural impact and radical amounts of eternal fruit? But Christians and churches who distance themselves from this message, again, seeking worldly, secular solutions to the problems that the world has, they actively deny that five loaves and two fish in the hands of King Jesus can feed all that come to him. Do not distance yourself from the gospel. We cannot distance ourselves from the gospel, because in the hands of King Jesus, something small and simple can have incredible impact. Final implication. Out of the fullness of Christ, faith is given to us. And our faith must be fed out of the fullness of Christ. Out of the fullness of Christ, faith is given to us, and the faith that we are given must be fed out of the fullness of Christ. Just like those who had no food themselves were fed bread and fish by Christ out of His fullness, Christ feeds our faith out of His fullness. Remember Hebrews 12, 2. Um, the author there says, and he reminds us that Jesus is both the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He begins our faith. He authors our faith. And then he completes it by satisfying our hunger with more of him. Friends, faith is a gift. It's not something that you get or have to figure out all by yourself. But faith is given to us to believe that Jesus can and believe that Jesus is willing. And if you're struggling to see that Jesus has the power to meet your needs and is willing to meet your needs, go to God's word. Read about Jesus. Earnestly pray to the God who freely gives and he will give you eyes to see. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, yes, I believe that Jesus can meet my needs and will meet my needs. Continue going to Jesus, the inexhaustible source of satisfaction and strength who can and will boost that very belief. The food that you're fed And the food that we must feed our faith is more of Jesus and more of his word. And honestly, throughout the rest of our time in John chapter 6, that's what we're going to explore together. So here's what I'm going to leave you with this morning. Jesus sees and knows your needs. And even where you see insufficiency, Christ is all sufficient. And even where you don't believe that he will, Friends, Jesus is willing. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you this morning for your word. God, may our faith be fed this morning.
as we go from this place, Lord God, may we see very clearly how you have given to us all things in Christ Jesus. And that Jesus is all sufficient for all that we need. God, we praise you. God, may we regularly go to your word to feed the faith that you have established in us. Seeing that it is out of Christ's sufficiency that we will be fed. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.